0: Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the youth director here at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. This week, Pastor Tim Voth continues our Family Matters sermon series, focusing on singleness and the family of God. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! And so when we say single, what might come to mind immediately is, you know, kind of younger people in the dating world, but singleness has a huge range in our congregation. um, And a huge range of experiences of feeling of what it means to be single. You might have some people who are like, this is great. You know, I'm unfettered. I'm free to go do whatever I want. And it's it's great being single. I enjoy the season of life. You might have other people who maybe feel the pain of, God, why, why haven't I found a spouse yet? You know, why haven't you heard my prayers? There's pain associated with it. There's also the pain maybe associated with, I miss my spouse. And no one really knows the tears that you cry at night and God knows. And so there's, a whole, associate, there's whole, a whole range of what it might mean to feel single, how you experience that season of your life. And then there's a whole range, to make it even more complicated, of what our culture thinks about singleness. And so just looking at our secular culture, there's, there's people who might view singleness as an opportunity to experience your sexuality. Singleness is an opportunity to go and explore sexuality. You know, hookup culture, Tinder culture, these are real things. And they can be a real temptation for single people. Um, So that's our secular culture. But then you have our church culture. And our church culture is interesting because we can kind of err in a different way, especially in the Fraser Valley here in Chilliwack. We kind of have this idea that there's this normal track to life. You know, you graduate and then you hopefully find a spouse soon. And then you get married and then you have kids and there's this normal track to life. And anyone who deviates from that track even a little bit is seen as a little odd. You know, what's, what's, what's happening? Why haven't you found a spouse yet? You know, that kind of feeling. And so you can walk into a church um, when you're a little bit older and single and you can feel like there's no place for me here. You know, that there's things for kids, there's things for spouses, there's things for all these different programs. But for the single person, they might walk into this place and feel out of place. They might feel lonely. They might feel like they don't belong. And so there's this whole spectrum of what our culture, secular or church, might say about singleness too. And I think for all of it, all of it, what we need to do in order to understand what singleness is, why it matters to the kingdom of God, and why it should matter to each of us, even if we're married, in order to do that, we need to look to Jesus. I know that's kind of the stock Sunday school answer, but we need to look to Jesus in order to understand singleness how it applies to our lives, and how we can live in light of singleness to the glory of God, how we can bring our best to singleness. We need to look to Jesus because, you know, this is no surprise, he was single. He was a single man. He was fully God, fully man. He's the author, perfecter of our faith. But in his humanity, he was single. He lived a life unmarried, and he probably died around the age of 33, and he was single, and he died a virgin, And our culture would laugh at that and has made movies about that. (laughs) But uh, our culture would also say that he lived a life that's unfulfilled because he didn't have a partner. But that can't be possible because Jesus, according to what we believe, he was the perfect human he lived a life fully fulfilled in the presence of God working in his kingdom and pursuing his father with all of his heart and having effectiveness in this world and so Jesus was the perfect man and he was single and so i think we have we can learn a lot from who he was in his life but also what he said and so i think when we look to Jesus this morning what we're going to see is that singleness is actually a gift singleness is a gift I think we're going to see that. Singleness is a gift to you if you are single, and singleness is a gift to the life of the church and to the kingdom of God. I think we're going to see that singleness is a gift because it offers a lot of versatility in the kingdom and a lot of resources that you might not have if you're married. Singleness is a gift because it it gives us a glimpse into how much we need Jesus and how we have to find our ultimate satisfaction in him. And it's a gift because it helps us to know who our true family is—the family of God—and so let's let's explore this idea together. Uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 19. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, you can open there. Matthew 19. We're going to be looking at verse 10 to explore what Jesus has to say about singleness and what matters to us. So, Matthew 19. Uh, Matthew's gospel was written primarily to Jews, and so. Uh, We have our culture, we have our secular culture, our church culture, but there was also kind of their Jewish culture where they had their own views about singleness. And so partly what they thought, a lot of them, was that marriage was so good that it was basically a duty. So marriage was this amazing thing which we've been talking about, family matters, marriage matters, it's this amazing thing, but they made it a duty so that marriage was a duty and singleness and celibacy was actually a sin. It was wrong, and they got that um, a lot because of in the beginning, in Genesis, God commands his people, be fruitful and multiply. Go out and fill the earth. And so they took that as a mandate that if you're not fulfilling it, um, in, some, in some areas, uh, they would actually, if you're over 20, they would actually force you to get married legally. They could force you to get married, and so maybe some of you are older than 20 and single, you're like, well, that'd be great, but no, it wasn't great. They... They did it because they believed that celibacy and singleness was a sin. Which, by the way, Jesus was celibate because he believed in the institution of marriage as God commanded it. He believed that it was one man, one woman, in a covenant till death do them part. That's where sexuality is to be experienced. And outside of that, singleness must be equated with celibacy. So that's their standard, and it's into that culture that Jesus says these words. And so if we're in Matthew 19... Um, he's talking about marriage. They ask him about divorce, and he starts talking about marriage. And he says, um, the standard for marriage is incredibly high. The standard for marriage is one man, one woman, in a covenant with God until death do you part. Only in very challenging, rare circumstances of sexual morality is, di- is divorce to happen. That's what he's sharing. And all, of his, all the people are like, well, that's too high of a standard. And so his disciples say this in verse 10. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Okay, so they see Jesus' standard of marriage, and they say, In a nutshell, basically, that standard is way too high. And so, we would rather be doing what in our culture is considered sin. It's probably better to just sin and be single than it is to get married. You're turning this good thing into this restrictive thing. And then Jesus says this, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So I picture that like this. Um, Sometimes people will give us in our house, uh, and our family, they'll give us a gift. Um, We've got a lot of kids, we've got four kids, and they'll give us a big bag of uh, clothes, and they'll give us like old toys that they have, and it's great. We love getting free stuff. (laughs) Um, But, We live in a townhouse and we've got four kids. And so we have to be diligent with the room that we have in our house. And so sometimes I'll be eager and I'll say, yes, bring it over. And we'll receive this gift from someone. But then we realize we don't actually have room in our house. And so we'll like, I guess I'll put it on that pile of stuff now. And like there's no room for it. And if it's an actual good gift, then we'll clear space and we'll make a room for it. I think what Jesus is saying here is I have a gift for you. I have a gift for you. I'm bringing you a gift. And the gift is this view of marriage. That's it's a covenant. Till death do you part. I'm bringing you this gift. Do you have room for it in your life? Do you have the categories to even think in this way? Can you receive this gift? Can you receive thinking about marriage this way? It was an incredibly high standard even for their time. And then he says this. Because they're saying, well, it would be better to be single. And he's like, ah, I have another gift for you. I wonder if you can receive this. And this is where he says this. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So he's talking to them about the gift of marriage, which we've been talking a lot about in this sermon series. And then he shifts gears. I'm going to give you another gift. Can you receive this one? And this one was even more controversial. Singleness is a gift. Do you have room in your categories? Do you have room in your soul, in your mind, in your heart to believe that singleness can actually be a gift and not a curse, like the people in Jesus' day might have thought? Can you make space for that idea in your mind and in your life? And so he's asking them, can you do that? And he's, he talks about eunuchs. And so we're, let's, let's chat about that for a little bit. Um, he says that there are three types of eunuchs. And this is the point probably in the sermon where maybe if you've invited a friend, you're like, I just hope that the sermon is normal. And now I'm going to be talking about eunuchs and castration. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but here we are. We're talking about eunuchs. Um, so back in the day, uh, there were just like now, people who were born eunuchs. And what that meant is that Jesus had a category in his mind and in his heart for people who were born with the inability to, uh, with, with infertility, or even with other challenges. He had in mind maybe people who were intersex, uh, maybe people with the same-sex proclivity and choosing a life of celibacy, and he had people in mind who were infertile. There are some people who were born as eunuchs. They are just born that way. Um, there were other people who were born, or who, were, who became eunuchs, Um, not of their own will. So what does that mean? So back in the day, if there was royalty, often they would have their servants castrated so that they wouldn't be a threat to the female servants and so that they wouldn't go out and want to start their own family so that they could have single-hearted devotion to the king. Single-hearted devotion to royalty. And so that's why they would uh, become eunuchs. And so I don't think there's many of us here in that situation, um, but it, it, I think how it applies to us is there are people here, here who are single without a family against their will. This wasn't how they wanted it. This wasn't what they've been praying for. They want a spouse. They want a family, and they just don't have one for whatever reason, and so I think we can talk about people who are single. Not that it's not their will. They want a spouse, but they're in a season of singleness, and so those are the two categories, and then he says this third category Which I think probably would have blown their mind. There are people who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And he didn't mean that literally. Um, He meant it figuratively. There are people who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And this would have blown their minds, I think, back in the day. Because in the Old Testament, there are places where uh, eunuchs weren't actually allowed into a lot of the covenantal worship. Uh, ceremonies. There are eunuchs who were excluded from a lot of aspects of covenantal life in the life of, of the family of God. They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't be priests. They couldn't access the true presence of God. And if they were to make themselves eunuchs, they would have been excluded from the kingdom of God. And here Jesus is saying something radical. Here Jesus is saying, if you are single for the sake of the kingdom of God, you have a place. You have a place in the kingdom of God. If you are single you are actually now in light of who Christ is and what he's done, you're enfolded into the family of God. You have a place beside the king. He actually loves you. He actually wants to use you and you have access to him. You have worth. You're not excluded from the community of God. You have worth in him and you can be used in his kingdom. He's saying something incredible. And so I think the people who are willing to be eunuchs in this context for us could mean people who embrace singleness as a gift. Who embrace singleness as a way to actually use their life with single-hearted devotion to the King, just like a eunuch would have back then, would have done back then. They can use their life, their singleness, their resources with single-hearted devotion to Jesus and His Kingdom. And so, what does that look like? Well, I think we need to go to Paul for a little bit to understand what it is about singleness that is actually a gift. Um, Paul is writing a letter to someone. In Uh, to the Corinthians, and he says this. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about singleness. He says, I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all were as I myself am. He was single. He was able to go on missions, journeys. He could do kind of whatever he wanted within the will of God. When he sought God, he could do whatever he wanted. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so marriage is a gift. It's a good thing. Other places, Paul talks about marriage as this amazing, beautiful thing. But here he's saying, singleness is a gift. And I actually wish that, you know, if you're not married yet, I actually wish you were single. Why does he say that? What does he mean? Well, he says this a bit later. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So just like that royal subject, I'm devoted to the king. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. No amens to that. Okay, good. Um, How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. So the single woman can have that fixated view on God and follow him. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So there's a lot in there that's a lot that's complex. But I think Paul is basically saying this. Picture with me for a second uh, a boat, a ship. Which is better, a big boat or a little boat? Depends where you are and depends where you're going, right? So I think, I picture family as a big boat. Okay, there's lots of people on it. Um, Once you get your trajectory straight and you know where you're going, it's a good thing. And you can all be pulling in the same direction and it's really... Uh, It's really good. But if you've got to change course, man, that takes a lot of time, right, for a big ship to turn. Um, If you want, if you feel called to kind of do something else in God's kingdom, it takes a lot of unity. It takes a lot of finding consensus. It takes a lot of prayer together um, for you to pull in another direction. If a married person or someone with family tries to live as if they're single, that's actually going to cause disaster for their ship. But, but marriage has, has a lot of positives, but it's like a big ship. But, but the single person, I picture them like a little ship. You know, they can, like a speedboat. They can kind of speed around and they can, they can if there's a need over there, they can go there. If there's someone in pain over here, they can, they can just go there. There's no one to consult except the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do today? And they can just go, right? And it, it has certain benefits. It has certain positives that I don't think we talk about enough. Being single, you have a resource of time you can use to your advantage. And I know people in the life of our church who have used their singleness as a gift to themselves and to the church. I know people. I know I was talking to a peer the other day who he said that he devoted his 20s to just giving, giving his life to the family of God. He was a youth leader. He was a young adults leader. He, he gave his time. He gave his effort. He gave his energy. He poured into the next generation Coming up, he was able to have coffees with them and pray with them and seek them and fill his whole week with meeting with people, and he loved it. He said it was so fulfilling, and he didn't regret not having a family. He really loved it, Um, and he made an impact in ways that he could never even think or imagine and in ways that we'll only know in heaven. Um, I know another person who is a widow, and she uses her life, her time in this season to go out for coffee with people who are hurting, to pray with people on the phone, to run a coffee group for women who need fellowship, she's using her season of singleness for the kingdom of God. It's possible, it's a gift. Singleness can be a gift to the life of the church. If you're single, are you viewing your singleness that way? Or are you just viewing it as a curse? Are you just viewing it as, oh, I wish I could just find a family? Or are you viewing it as, this is God's gift to me that I can give to the church right now. Are we viewing singleness as a gift? And are we coveting each other? You know, if we're married, or if we have family, are we saying, "Ah, oh, we you know, I wish I had more time, I wish I had more resources? Or are we saying, no, God has called me where He's called me, I'm going to live my life how He's calling me to right now." Are we viewing singleness as a gift? And you know, this person this, that I was talking to, this widow, said that it doesn't take away from the pain of singleness living for God in the middle of it, it doesn't take away from the pain. It doesn't take away from the hurt of being single. But it gives you purpose in the middle of your pain. That's good, right? It gives you purpose in the middle of your pain to live in the kingdom of God for him. And any purpose, you can, you can overcome, you can endure a lot of pain if you've got a purpose in the kingdom of God. And so merit, or singleness is a gift because in a way it frees us up to be used in the kingdom of God how the king wants to use us. But it's also a gift for this reason. I think it's a gift because it reminds us where we find our true satisfaction. You know, if we have pain for experiencing the hurt of singleness, it's actually an opportunity to seek Jesus. It's actually an opportunity to find our fullness and our completeness in Him. Because another controversial thing that Jesus said in the same gospel, He said this people were asking Him about marriage. Uh, How it's going to look in the resurrection. And he says this mind blowing thing For in the resurrection, they, married people, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. In other words, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. (laughs) Sorry to break it to you. But this has been really sobering, I think, for me to think upon as a married man is that one day I will be single. I, I just, I don't think of that very much, whether it's through, um, you know, becoming a widower or through entering eternity. I'm going to be single one day. All of us who are married, there's a, uh, the title of a book that's called This Momentary Marriage. I think that summarizes it all. It's momentary. One day we're all going to be single before God. And we can't depend on our spouse's faith. We can't depend on anything. It's just going to be us and God Single, before him. That's a sobering thought, right? It's, it's really fascinating to think about. And I think it helps us to remember where our ultimate satisfaction comes from. Our ultimate purpose. It's found in the kingdom of God. It's found in Jesus. And ultimately, we're going to be with him one day forever, enjoying his presence forever. And it makes us stop and reflect. Are we finding our fullness in Jesus right now? Or are we looking to our spouse to fulfill us? I think if we're trying to do that, if we're looking to our spouse to play the role that God is supposed to play in our lives, it puts a crippling pressure on our spouse and it sets us up for disappointment because our spouse isn't perfect. They're going to hurt us. They're going to disappoint us. And we're not perfect. We're going to hurt them and disappoint them. And we might expect the forgiveness that God offers. You know, he's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He can forgive like that. We expect that from our spouse. That's not going to happen. We're humans. And so I think if we put the pressure that only God can fill in our lives on our spouse, we're setting ourselves up for, for failure. I think of people who are engaged in dating and looking to marry. That's good. Pursue that. You know, go and, and be fruitful and multiply. That's amazing. It's good. But remember, are you looking to your spouse, your future spouse, to fulfill you? Or are you looking to Jesus? And for those of you who are single, maybe you are pining after a spouse. You want a spouse. But in this season, you have a blessed gift to be able to remember, it's in Christ alone that my hope is found. Not in any spouse. I find my hope, I find my peace, I find my satisfaction in Jesus. And so it's important and sobering for us to remember that we find our satisfaction in him because one day we who are married will be single. And one day you who are single, though, you will be married. I mean, the whole narrative of Scripture is towards the wedding feast with the king, right? One day you will find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. And so one final point, being single doesn't necessarily mean being lonely. Being single doesn't mean being alone. The picture in heaven is not of just me and God, It's me and God and all of the believers throughout all of time in fellowship in perfect harmony and unity with one another, loving God and loving one another. The the picture of singleness in the Bible is not one of loneliness, but one of fellowship in the family of God. One of fellowship in the family of God. And so I think that's the third gift that we can see um, from singleness. It helps us remember who our true family is. You know, if you're talking about family matters, the family of God is who matters. Listen to Jesus and his final kind of controversial thing about singleness here in Matthew. He's talking to people and it says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. He replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's amazing. The family, the biological family is so important in the Old Testament to propagating the faith. It's through being fruitful and multiplying that you grow in the world and make disciples. But now Jesus is saying the Great Commission. It's not through procreation. It's through... um, proclamation. There, that was just on the spot. It's not through procreation. It's through proclamation of the gospel. It's through um, discipleship that the family of God has grown. And so a single person can be growing the family of God through discipling, through witnessing, through spreading the good news of Jesus. That's how disciples are made. And, you know, I myself, I'm really blessed to have my mom and dad are alive. Um, I've got a brother and two sisters. I have children of my own. I have a wife. And by the grace of God, we have good relationships with each other. Um, And they've all poured into my life in my spiritual walk. But I know that I have spiritual mothers and fathers in Christ. I have people who have just poured themselves out for me and my spouse and just helped me in hard seasons, guided me, corrected me, uh, trained me up in righteousness. I have older people in my life who've, by their grace, pulled me aside and just helped me along in my spiritual journey. I have a brother and sisters, but I know in Christ I have brothers and sisters. I have people, I have peers in Christ who have wept with me, who have celebrated with me in my triumphs, have been with me in my lows, have given me advice, have been a listening ear. And you know, I I have my own kids, but I know that, you know, in our church church, congregation here. I think of our Sardis Kids leaders. You can think of these kids as your spiritual children. You're mentoring them. You're pulling them along. You're pouring into them. You're giving of your time. You're giving of your effort, and that's not wasted. It has a ripple effect in the kingdom of God. We can have spiritual children here in Christ. And so the family now goes far beyond just our biological family. If you're single, you're not not missing out on having fathers, brothers, sisters, children. You can have spiritual family who surrounds you and loves you and cares for you and that you can pour into. I think it's important for us to remember that. And so, to the married, I want to say this. um, Because thinking through this has been, it's been convicting for me. You know, I think when you get married and you have kids, you can kind of get into this kind of bubble because it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work and you kind of want to surround yourself with people who are like-minded going through the same season of life. And you can kind of just focus in and narrow and forget, it's hard, it's sad to say, but forget about the single people in your life and congregation, right? And I think for us as married people, we've got to ask ourselves seriously, are we bringing our best to the family of God? Are we remembering to be inclusive and loving to those who aren't in our exact demographic? Are we inviting single people along for the journey? Are we... Maybe even in folding them, I hear beautiful stories of people who you know, invite a family, who invites a single person over for dinner, and they feel so welcomed, or invites even a single person they trust to do the bedtime routine with their little kids. Are we able to do that, or are we just kind of focused on our own demographic? Um, and I think to the single person, you know, I think it can be easy to be single and feel like, well, I'm just waiting around, I'm just waiting for someone to initiate to invite me. If you're single, are you bringing your best to the family of God? Are you... Maybe initiating with a family. Hey, could I ever come over and have a meal with you guys? Are you giving your life to to serve God in His kingdom? Are you bringing your best to the family of God? So there's lots in here, but I think I just want to end on these questions that I've already asked. One, to all of us, are you using your current season, whether married or single, as a gift? Are you seeking God and asking, God, how do you want me to be used in your kingdom today? Are you asking yourself that? Two, 1A, we'll say. 1-1. Are you finding your satisfaction in Jesus? Are you finding your satisfaction in him? If you're single, if you're married, are you looking to Jesus to fulfill all of your needs? Are you depending on him? And finally, are you bringing your best to the family of God? Are you being hospitable? Are you being loving? I think those are three questions that we can think upon as we go into our week. So I'd like to pray for us. Father, I just thank you that we've had time to reflect on this topic that maybe for a lot of us we never even think about. But it's so important. God, you've placed us in your family. You've placed us in your kingdom. And all of us here, we can, with single-hearted devotion, follow you, our King. Knowing that we're surrounded on this journey, we're not alone. Uh, Wherever we're at, whoever is here right now hearing this message, Lord, I just pray for them, that they, would, that they would know that they're surrounded by people who want to love them and want to care about them and want to show them the love of Jesus and family. And so I pray for those who might be feeling alone, God, that you would just surround them with the people that could encourage them along their journey and help them know that they have a friend and they have a family. I pray for those who have questions for you, God. God, where is my spouse? I'm waiting, Lord, that they would find their all in you and that you would guide them. And Lord, I pray for all of us as the family of God, help us to keep you center, help us to follow you, help us to just humbly walk with you and look to the people around us and think, God, how can I be used today in your kingdom? And so we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out SardisFellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.